This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is Dan DeMarco, and you are listening to This Week in FCPA on the Compliance Podcast Network. This is Bart Peterson, and you are listening to This Week in FCPA on the Compliance Podcast Network. This is Mike Flanagan, and you're listening to This Week in FCPA on the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'd like to welcome you to Episode 126 for This Week in FCPA for the week ending October 26, 2018, the Sweep Question Mark Edition. First, a word from our sponsor, Affiliated Monitors. Founded in 2004, Affiliated Monitors provides professional, independent integrity monitoring and ethics and compliance assessments nationally and internationally and across almost all industries. With its knowledge of effective ethics and compliance programs and cultures, Affiliated Monitors is respected for its work as the corporate monitor on matters ranging from multinational corporations to small and mid-sized companies and even individuals. Having served in over 600 monitorships, no one has more experience as an independent monitor than the team at Affiliated Monitors. For more information on how an independent monitor can help your company improve its compliance and ethics program, visit our sponsor, Affiliated Monitors, at www.affiliatedmonitors.com. As the Boston Red Sox thrash the Los Angeles Dodgers in the first two games of the World Series, we ask, will they sweep? Of course, the New England Patriots are back on the top of their division, so is Jay heading for a fall. In this episode, after the conclusion of the 2018 SCCE Compliance and Ethics Institute, Jay and I join up to take a look at some of the week's topics, top ethics and compliance stories, including the NCAA bribery and corruption trial and what it means for college basketball going forward. We take a look at some purloined notebooks in Argentina, and will they lead to a bigger corruption scandal than car wash? Do you have Chinese companies in your supply chain? If so, you better wake up to the risk. We take a look at a speech given by Louis Sapperman, and when Louis Sapperman talks, you should listen. We consider the new column in Compliance Week, Ask Amy, where Amy Bernard Bond opens a mailbag column. Jonathan Marks talks corporate governance common sense. And finally, the SEC opens an investigation into Goldman Sachs to determine if they tried to muzzle a whistleblower. We take on these stories and many more. I know you will enjoy this episode. This is Tom Fox. This Week in FCPA is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'd like to welcome you to This Week in FCPA, episode 126 for the week ending October 26, 2018, The Sweep question mark edition. As always, I'm joined by Mr. Monitors, Jay Rosen. As the Boston Red Sox thrash the LA Dodgers in the first two games of the World Series, will they sweep? That's the question that we will explore. Of course, the Patriots are back on top, and it leads to the inevitable question of, is Jay heading for a fall? Well, I don't know about that, but we are 
regrouping after the 2018 SCCE Compliance and Ethics Institute and going to take a look at some of the week's top stories. So, Jay, uh, welcome home, and uh, I look forward to uh, hearing your thoughts on uh, SCCE this year. Perfect. Uh, First, we'll uh, share some thoughts from our colleague, uh, Matt Kelly, who we saw on Monday, and we taped a live episode of uh, Everything Compliance, and we went to the bullpen and brought in our lefty specialist, uh, Louis Sapperman, who uh, definitely kept the ball within the park. Uh, I guess it was a little bit bittersweet for SCCE as uh, Roy Snell, who has been the CEO of the group, uh, rather the CEO of the group that was founded in 2004, uh, attended and chaired his last uh, SCC event. Um, this year, it was reported that we had about 1,700 people there. And uh, this has been part of Roy's, I guess, he's been having about a, a 16th month turnover and Jerry Zach is going to be taking over the organization. And uh, Roy was his typical self-effacing self. And he said that um, in his valedictory remarks that sometime in the next five years, one of you in this room is going to prevent the next Enron and people aren't going to lose their pensions. Sometime in the next year, someone who is abusing people will be stopped in their tracks, not 10 years later, but now. And sometime in the next week, one of you will stop an otherwise good person from going down the wrong path. Uh, like to quote one other thing that Matt quoted when we were uh, talking about this uh, during Everything Compliance that Roy also said, compliance professionals create trust in companies. Trust in companies create trust in countries. Trusted countries are more successful in the global economy and countries that are successful in the global economy increase the standard of living for the lives of their people. So uh, we are part of a big fraternity here. Um, I think Roy will be missed, his intensity, his Red Bulls, but uh, there is uh, definitely a strong organization behind uh, that can carry on in his ways, and we wish Jerry Zach the best of luck. Also, uh, we've linked in the show notes to um, some social media dispatches that uh, Matt Kelly uh, linked in. So uh, those are, I guess, the news of the conference. Tom, did you have anything uh specific that you wanted to share talking about either the panels that you were on or the panels that you attended uh, over the last week? So, yeah, um, it was, uh, as always, a great conference. <clears throat> the um, the Caesars Palace venue really lends itself to a, um, uh, a large group such as the SCCE. I was privileged to have two presentations, <clears throat> one with uh, Carlos Ayers, uh, Matt Ellis, we took a look at uh, anti-corruption and compliance in Latin America, both enforcement and compliance programs. And then on Monday, uh, Matt Kelly and I took a look at uh, AI and compliance going forward. I learned a couple of things. One is Matt Kelly is the coolest guy in compliance. The coolest guy in compliance. The coolest guy. He, uh, he used to be Mr. Radical Compliance. Well, now he's the coolest guy in compliance. You know so, what else uh, I learned about Matt Kelly? Uh, he's a young guy. Did you hear that? Yeah. I heard that too. So uh, I was uh, really pleased to learn those two things about Matt. The other thing uh, that struck me, Jay, was how many people are now using the conference uh, as, um, 
I would say I was going to say business development, but it's not even that. People are connecting in ways that I don't think they've previously done simply because there's so many compliance practitioners in one um, in one venue. Whereas I think in the past, people uh, would certainly connect, have a cup of coffee, introduce themselves, introduce their products or services to a potential customer. Here, uh, people went with uh, specific uh, uh, agendas or specific needs and having those needs specifically addressed by vendors and or having meetings where um, you know, they were getting together for, for business purposes. And really, that was the first time I heard people talk about uh, specific tangible business being conducted at the SCCE. And that really uh, tells me that it, it's moved up into a, a different level of, of meeting beyond simply, you know, where we all got together and kind of celebrated the, um, the compliance profession. Um, the vendor room struck me this year, Jay, as a true innovation room. And uh, a lot of companies will roll out new products or services uh, at SCCE and uh, announcements were made during SCCE, um, which uh, were follow. You could follow up directly with the vendors. Uh, I still wish that the vendors did not have to shut down on the second day at 11 a.m. I wish they were at least allowed to stay through uh, the first two day full first two full days of the conference. So I did. Uh, I still would have that uh, request. But you know, Jay, as always, great to get together with uh, the gang. Uh, I recorded multiple podcasts, so that's sort of my business. So I was able to conduct business. I know you had uh, some profitable and interesting meetings as well. We got to meet some new people um, from my podcast business. Uh, I'm extraordinarily pleased to announce two two of our colleagues are starting a new podcast. And they came to me and they said they wanted to be a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. So uh, that was kind of uh, completely from left field. Was not expecting that. So we're going to be premiering a new podcast that I'll announce more on later. But as always, uh, great venue. Uh, great to uh, to see everyone. Great to see compliance. And um, just uh, the way, uh, hopefully, will be the way forward. So uh, I know there are lots of things that shock you, Tom, but you were really flabbergasted to find out that money is being paid to top athletes to attend certain basketball colleges. What is that about? You know, I just I can't believe it. I just cannot believe it. Having been in Las Vegas and having found out that there's actually gambling going on, I'm now doubly shocked, Jay, to find out that uh, basketball players are being paid to go to schools. And not only are they being paid to go to schools, guess what? It's a federal crime because – We had three convictions this week of low-level functionaries in this entire corrupt organization called our cartel or perhaps even criminal enterprise (laughs) called college basketball. We had a former Adidas director of global marketing, James Gatto, a Adidas basketball consultant uh, named Merle Code, and a recruiter, Christian Dawkins all convicted of wire fraud and conspiracy by paying money to recruits to attend Louisville and Kansas. Uh, you know, I just, I can't get over my shock. And part of my shock, Jay, is when I was in high school, um, there was a, a player at my local college who was declared ineligible because his mother had been given a refrigerator. Well, these players were paid between twenty five dollars and $100,000. So clearly the price has gone up. 
Um, but uh, what struck me was the, the role of the universities. And uh, you mean it, it the was, victims? Yeah, that was what was the funny part. <laughs> the um, prosecutors claimed the universities were the victims. The problem with that was it looked like the coaches were facilitating these payments. And uh, if they didn't know about them direct, or if they didn't order them, they knew about them. And if they didn't know about them, they certainly turned their heads the other way. So uh, um, it was—it's just a completely sordid affair. The NCAA, as usual, has its head up its very deep hole uh, without looking either way. There was a great line uh, by uh, a sports writer who said the effect that uh, as the NCAA burns, they didn't even bother to fiddle while it's going on. So um, I just, uh, I'm just shocked, shocked to find out that there is money being paid. And gosh, uh, it made me wonder, uh, are athletes being paid in other sports? I mean, could football players be paid? Because, you know, the NCAA, uh, they are very robust in their investigation and their enforcement. And in fact, Jay, I, uh, I think, I don't think this is breaking news, uh, but they are uh, actively prosecuting North Carolina players who sold their shoes on eBay. And we certainly don't want that. And I think these players may have made up to $200. So uh, I'm certainly glad the NCAA is uh, out there aggressively prosecuting uh, players. I'm uh, glad they are protecting their cartel. Uh, and I'm glad uh, to know, uh, I suppose I should be glad to know that there are actual gambling going on. So um, just shocked, shocked, Jay. So we, we have links to uh, several articles in the show notes, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, ESPN. And uh, one of my favorite uh, sports legal commentators is a guy named Michael McCann. He's head of the uh, sports law program at the University of New Hampshire. So not that I'm being a homer in that respect, but uh Mike did write a lot about Deflategate, so I am, I am a homer there. Uh, next up, we have an article that uh, comes to us from GIR, Global Investigations Review, and uh, it looks like we might have the next operation uh, car wash on hand. Uh, Latin American lawyers uh, got together at an event with GIR, and they've predicted that our current case in Argentina has the potential to grow to resemble Brazil's most famous investigation, Operation Car Wash. Uh, Speaking at the Latin Lawyer panel, um, Enrique Brochu of Brochu, Fernandez, Madeira, and Lombardi in Buenos Aires said, we're seeing some real action. One perception is that the next car wash will be in uh, Argentina. And in recent months, uh, Afghan Argentinian police arrested dozens of individuals, including a prominent businessman, following allegations that they pay bribes to public officials. But this stuff, uh, like in all good uh, crime movies where the accountant brings everyone down, this uh, one individual kept detailed notebooks of where all the payments are going. And uh, basically, um, Argentina recently passed a corporate liability bill in November of 2017, and it's very much similar to Brazil's Clean Company Act. And uh, basically, uh, what can happen is uh, 
If you are convicted, a judge can fine companies up to five times the benefit obtained from the misconduct. So that would be the disgorgement piece. And they also can be blacklisted from public tender contracts for up to 10 years. So uh, I guess uh, this is where the uh, the next land rush is, is to head out to Argentina. Do you have uh, any insight into this, Tom? So my first thought, Jay, was, is there a data privacy breach? Uh, because as Jonathan Armstrong continually reminds us, uh, the loss of a cell phone, the loss of a notebook, the loss of a backpack, the loss of a folder, that's a data breach. So, you know, my first thought went to, gosh, is there a data breach here? So maybe that needs to be reported to authorities. Oops, it did get reported to authorities. Oh, well, I guess we don't have a data breach. Um, this... Uh, y- as a recovering screenwriter, I'm sure you appreciate, Jay, that in the anti-corruption world, uh, if you wrote this as a screenplay, it would probably be rejected because no one b- would believe someone could be so stupid. Um, yet here we are. Um, so the other thing is this is not the guy who was actually paying the bribes, keeping the records. It's the driver. So. Uh, always go to the service providers because they are the ones who facilitate the uh, transactions in question. And it's going to be interesting. Uh, Politically, uh, the current Argentinian government is antithetical to the prior Argentinian government. So because of this regime change, I think we may see a a pretty aggressive approach uh, from the prior government who by all – Measures apparently was as corrupt as the NCAA. So uh, next up, we have a couple articles on supply chain uh, risk. One from our friend Jacqueline Jager at Compliance Week, and then one from uh, Mike Volkov, who somehow missed the Everything Compliance recording gig on Monday. What is as happening? He did, as he did, I, we will have to chastise Mr. Volkov because he missed the Everything Compliance dinner. So, uh, you know, Mike Volkoff, where where are you or where were you? We definitely missed you. Is, Nevertheless, is he, is he in Carmen, San Diego? Uh, I don't know where he is. He may be in Sicily. Maybe he's on the lam. But uh, at any rate, I'm going to get to his article second, Jay, because um, Jacqueline laid out uh, some really um, the prescient points that if you're doing business with Chinese supply companies, you will probably uh, have been hacked or going to be hacked. And there was a special report uh, in Bloomberg that she cited to claiming that servers of several U.S. companies were compromised by Chinese spies and sophisticated supply chain attack. Oops, wake up. They are still our enemy. I guess we forgot that. Uh, certainly companies have done business with them. Uh, they have tr- they have not tried. They have stolen U.S. IP for years, um, and they continue to steal U.S. IP. So uh, whether you're buying from them or selling to them, uh, they're going to steal it from you, and you need to be prepared for that. And she lays out some uh, supply chain best practices from the cyber perspective, um, and those include establishing stringent security requirements for your um, suppliers, Trust but verify, develop a cybersecurity questionnaire, implement technological controls, and establish a no-tolerance policy. Mike took a look at it uh, in a little bit different angle, Jay, 
uh, on the supply chain where he lists the, uh, the different uh, reputational damages that companies had sustained because of companies in their supply chain. But he really flipped it when he said he wanted to advocate for uh, companies transforming their supply chain from a set of risks and worst case scenarios to a positive asset that reinforces a message of ethics and compliance. And he's to do so, you need to dedicate time and resources to the converting your supply chain into a positive example uh, so that you can uh, move uh, to a message from a message of do no harm to a message of doing good. And I really thought that was a great, great thought. And both articles really lead to uh, companies need to pay more attention to their supply chain. The compliance uh function of organization needs to be involved with your high-risk suppliers, whether that be high-risk suppliers in a specific uh, industry or service line, high-risk suppliers in a geographic area. But for my money, Jay, high-risk suppliers are those that you're closest to, whether because of your spend with them or their uh, interconnectedness to your business. So uh, it's always important to think about supply chain, and this, I think, will become more and more important from the anti-corruption compliance perspective. But as Jacqueline reminds us, uh, there's a lot more to compliance than simply anti-corruption compliance. There's cyber compliance as well as a wide variety of uh, human slavery, export control, and and you name the other types of compliance. So uh, if you're in compliance, you need to start looking at your supply chain. Perfect. So uh, next up, we have an article from Just Anti-Corruption. Um, this is one of the reporters, Adam uh, Dobrik, who we had the opportunity to meet with at the conference. And uh, he interviews ex-Dunn Bradstreet compliance chief, the left-hander who brought, who brought him from the bullpen, Louis Sapperman, and uh, talking about U.S. enforcers focused on third parties uh, like yourself, Tom, and myself. Uh, Lewis uh, presented at the conference recently, and um, he spoke about uh, his experiences when he was at Dun and Bradstreet, and uh, helped them out of the jam. And uh, basically, uh, he said, uh, "Our, I promise you, the Department of Justice will not care one iota about the fact." that our company has represented to you that they do bribery training every year and that they care deeply about the code of conduct. If you haven't done your own due diligence to understand what the culture is and how they actually deal with the FCPA, the Department of Judgment will give you, uh, Justice will give you zero credit. So this echoes some thoughts that we've been talking about for the uh, past uh, not only a few weeks, but one of your favorite things is document, document, and document. So if you are not training and you're not getting documentation from your third parties, everything is good wishes, but nothing counts. And then Lewis also went on to speak about the necessity of doing due diligence, uh, especially cultural ethics and compliance due diligence when you're in the middle of an M&A transaction. So it's a, it's a very brief interview with Lewis, but it makes some very good points and things that we uh, often talk about together on this podcast. Yeah, Jay, I would just say if you ever have the opportunity to hear Lewis Sapperman talk, you need to listen. He's a, he got done in Bradstreet through a, a massive FCPA enforcement action with a declination. Uh, he basically designed, created, and implemented a best practice compliance program with government oversight in the middle of an enforcement action, and it doesn't get much better than that. So uh, uh, great words, and I, I guess the 
it's not really a new nugget because it's something I think you and your affiliated monitor colleagues have been saying for quite some time, Jay, which is uh, it's, it's all about culture. And if you don't have your arms around culture, whether that be uh, through a culture survey, through getting out of, uh, you know, the ivory tower and going out and assessing culture or sitting down with a potential target, you're setting yourself up for a big fall. So uh, we may have to amend document, document, document to uh, uh, it's about culture, baby. So uh, next up, we have another friend of the podcast, Amy Barnard Bond, and she now has a new mailbag for Compliance Week. Uh, uh, anything you, you want to highlight in the mailbag for this week? So really no highlights on the mailbag, but it just uh, it's a great column. If you have questions, you can email Amy. Uh, her answers are prescient and witty. So um, ask Amy and uh, check it out on Compliance Week. If you're listening to this podcast uh, today on October 26, Compliance Week is ending a free open house week where you can get behind the firewall at no cost. So if you listen to this today, I would suggest you check out Amy, ask Amy, uh, take a look at uh, Compliance Week and take a look at her column. Great. And uh, another friend of the podcast who we usually check in with weekly, who has a lot of great stuff to say about uh, boards and how they should interact with the companies they govern, uh, Jonathan Marks. So uh, I suppose that this is, uh, you know, me saying something along the lines of the following uh, may sound a bit disingenuous, but frankly, I don't know how Jonathan Marks cranks out the quality product he does and puts it on his blog. And it's just uh, A plus every time. And this one is entitled Co- Corporate Government Governance Common Sense Principles 2.1, where he lays out some basic duties of uh, boards of directors. And the, the thing that strikes me uh, about all of Jonathan's stuff is uh, once again, where I, I try to be the practical guy, well, Jonathan is the uber practical guy, and he lays it out for you, um, not in real commentary form, but really in bullet points that you can quickly and easily digest and, and implement in your program. So he talks about the board. He talks about the board's responsibility. He talks about uh, shareholder right, public reporting, uh, leadership, management succession, compensation, all of the things that a board must uh, get their arms around going forward. He's always got a diagram or two and uh, usually has some links to actually more detailed articles. So I'm not quite sure how he cranks out such great quality, but he does in the compliance uh, space is certainly uh, better for it, Jay. Yes, indeed. So um, our last uh, article that we're going to talk about before we go into uh Upcoming events is this is something that we picked up a couple weeks ago, and um, there is a gentleman named James Katzman who was a former partner at Goldman Sachs. He picked up the whistleblower hotline in 2004 to complain about a number of practices inside this investment bank, and uh, they were supposedly fully investigated. Uh, one concerned with hiring a relative. Another one was concerned with another colleague of his at uh, Goldman asking for confidential information on a client that Mr. Katzman represented. Uh, now, Mr. Katzman is no longer there, but what's of issue is that for him to continue to uh, be holding his restricted stock, uh, he basically has a gag order on him. So what their authorities are trying to figure out is, is there a way 
that any action may be able to take be taken on Mr. Katzman's complaints without him breaching the uh, confidentiality agreement he has with Goldman. Uh, what do you what do you, what do you think about that? So, Jay, this this is I, I don't want to say I'm stunned because I've already been shocked shocked <laughs> in this podcast. But I mean, this was uh, the subject of an SEC enforcement action over three years ago involving K, KBR, and then it was called pretaliation. Uh, you cannot restrict via confidentiality agreement, contract, or other anyone from going to the government with uh, legal securities laws violations. And that's uh, as about as plain as I can say it. That, that is illegal. In the KBR SEC enforcement action, KBR tried to prevent uh, employees from doing so. Uh, and in, in the face of not ever having exercised that clause in their confidentiality provision, they were fined by the Securities and Exchange Commission. In the order, they laid out the specific language exempting out going to government regulators from a confidentiality muzzle clause. And here, th- some three years later, it's we find it, or it's at least alleged in the New York Times article, to be a part of uh, the Goldman order. And um, it's unclear, it was unclear from the Times article, Emily Flitter reporting, whether or not Goldman had tried to exercise it. It's unclear from the article if the Securities and Exchange Commission is investigating Goldman on the substantive claims brought forward by the whistleblower, but simply on the uh, attempt to muzzle the whistleblower alone, that would appear to be directly antithetical to the settlement in the KBR pretaliation case and other cases. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see. The SEC is going to go in there and look at it. Uh, um, and uh, this is something that I think we'll have to continue to follow, Jay. Indeed. So uh, we've got another training session to talk about, and then we have a, a virtual conference. So uh, what are those two? So um, on November 12 and 13, I am putting on a master class, compliance master class training in New York. We've got just a couple of seats open. Uh, Jonathan Marks and his firm, Baker Tilly, are hosting me. So I'm greatly looking forward to that. Greatly looking forward to working with Jonathan. If you're in New York and you need some compliance training, I will tell you this is the best uh, training class around because I'm the guy who wrote the book on operationalizing compliance. Um And then uh, interestingly, uh, perhaps not so interestingly, but certainly presciently, uh, NAVAX is putting on a virtual conference. This conference will be on Thursday, November 8th. It is free. It is a a conference that will allow the compliance practitioner uh, a wide variety of topics. There are four focus areas. The structure of the conference is each focus area has a keynote and then uh, three uh, individual breakout uh, sessions that are unrelated to the keynote directly, but within the general uh, parameters of them, and then a Q&A. So uh, it is about philosophy meeting performance in the compliance realm. It, um, I guess I should mention once again that it's free, if I didn't mention that already, and that uh, Matt Kelly is uh, part of this effort. He and I did a podcast on it, Jay, on uh, Compliance Into the Weeds that went up this this week. So uh, check out the uh, Ethics and Compliance Virtual Conference 2018 through NAVEX Global. Uh, I think it will definitely be worth your while. And once again, uh, you cannot beat the price.
perfect. So uh, how about them Texans last night? They were. So uh, how about them Texans? You know, you saw just for a brief uh, instance, Jay, the potential the Texans had when they play um, uninjured. Unfortunately, it looks like we've now lost William Fuller for the year uh, with a torn ACL. Uh, Jadavian Clowney went out last night with an injury. So uh, having the full complement of Texans, once again, may be the biggest bugaboo. Um, But they did look good uh, for the night, and we did beat uh, the heist former Texan Brock Osweiler. Uh, And so – but here's a question, Jay. Or, I mean, do you believe, is this going to be a sweep? Are we've got the best team with the best record uh, heading for, uh, at least with a 2-0 lead. You know, if, if that was the Astros, you know what I'd be saying is your reticent New Englander in you still exist on the West Coast? Or are you finally beginning to, to come out of the, uh, the clouds of 1918? I'm all in. Uh, I think, I want to say, like, within the last, in either two or three World Series. I know uh, in 04 when we played, played St. Louis, we swept them in four, and I believe we also swept Colorado. So I think uh, the momentum is on our side, and the only thing that could stop the Red Sox would be uh, one, Dave Roberts playing his uh, an entire lineup card and not substituting in everyone from the bench, and number two, if there's any kind of whammy that Adam Turtletop is going to put on the Red Sox, it could happen tonight. <laughs> so, um, wow, I hadn't even thought about uh, the Turtletop mojo. Yeah. So, uh, big, should, big red. Big red. The Turtletop mojo. Should we um, – uh, how do you think Adam's going to deal when he's uh, lost – back-to-back series in two years to your team and our team or and my team well the only thing we can hope is that he's not flying coach on an 18-hour uh trans-pacific flight because that would uh give him too much time to think about uh uh two years in a row but you know uh they're only down uh two games so something could happen but right now i i want to be uh optimistic non-1918 and I've got that broom out, and I'm ready to start sweeping up at uh, 7.09 p.m. Central Time, 5.09 p.m. on the West Coast. So uh, did you want to hint any more about that new podcast, or do we have to wait wait to, wait to hear about it in successive uh, um, uh, shows? So I suppose we can give a little teaser. Uh, Lisa Fine and Mary Shirley – are starting a new podcast called Great Women in Compliance. And we have recorded episode zero, and uh, the ladies are off to uh, start recording and talking to some of the great women in compliance. That will premiere on the uh, Compliance Podcast Network at some point in November. Uh, It's still in production, so um, I'm very excited. It's my first non-Tom Fox podcast on the Compliance Podcast Network. So um, uh, if you have an idea for a podcast, uh, give me a shout. I'd love to have you a part of what I'm doing. I'm uh, migrating to a new platform, which will enable a much wider variety of uh, podcasts, and uh, we'll hopefully we'll get the word out. So, Tom, now that you uh, don't have to watch football on Sunday because the Texans have won already, uh, what do you plan to be doing with your uh, weekend afternoons? 
So Jay, on Sunday, actually, I'm producing uh, final in final production for a second week of my podcast series, Adventures in Compliance, on the intersection of Sherlock Holmes in the compliance space. And this uh, next five-part series, I take a look at the Sherlock Holmes novels, The Hounds of the Baskervilles, uh, The Sign of Four, The Valley of Fear, uh, and a couple of others uh, for some more compliance lessons. So I hope our listeners will enjoy this uh, second series of Adventures in Compliance going forward. Looking forward to it. Awesome. So on behalf of Tom Fox, the Compliance Evangelist, and myself, Mr. Monitor Jay Rosen, we'd like to thank you for joining us for this week uh, for episode 126 of This Week in FCPA the sweep question mark edition. All right. Well, thanks everyone for joining us. Have a great weekend and we'll speak to you next week. Hello everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of This Week in FCPA. If you have any questions, you can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. You can email Jay at jrosen at affiliatedmonitors.com. If you're interested in the top compliance training class, I hope you will check out my compliance master class upcoming in New York on November 12 and 13, hosted by Jonathan Marks at Baker Tilly. I hope you'll join us again next week where Jay and I take a look at some of the week's top compliance and ethics stories. This Week in FCPA is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.